Revisit, the official podcast of UCC Visitors Centre. Welcome to episode three of Revisit, the official UCC Visitors Centre podcast. I'm your host, JP Quinn, and I'm joined today by my guest, a man I've known for nearly two decades, a good friend of mine, Mr. Kieran Hurley, who is the UCC 98.3 FM, that is the university's radio station, general manager. Hello, Kieran. How are you? Hi, JP. Thanks for having me on. It's kind of strange for you to be on the other side of the microphone for a change, isn't it? Yeah, say that all right. Normally, I'm in the background kind of just uh, doing your job, so hopefully I won't make a mess of it. Uh, No fear of that. And from what I can see you there, you're sitting in the brand new radio station in the Student Hub building. Um, That's very exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it was five years planning and here we are. It finally, it happened. Now, COVID has upset us, our plans a bit, but we still kind of got it up and going and students had a brief chance to use it in the first semester. And now we're in lockdown number three, so we wait until less is passed before we get back to the the important work again. But the physical positioning of the radio station is very clever as well too, isn't it? Because it's underneath the underpass, the archway of the of the new student hub building and you can actually see into the radio station so students will be able to see other students broadcasting and shows actually happening in real time as well won't they yeah Th- that was a plan that we had years ago the, the way it happened was we're in the student center the very top floor in the corridor and people will graduate from you see not even know there was a radio station there and they they regretted the fact not knowing because they would have got involved and of course there's so much going on you can't you know get yourself out there all the time so when it came to the design philosophy of uh, the hub, we were invited to join uh, the, the group and we looked at it and we said, yeah, that's a good idea. And the idea was to sort that by putting the station in the center of the campus and have it really visible. So when you walk past, you can see the on-air studio and through that, you can see the podcast training studio. And then beyond that, again, you can see the production studio. So if you walk by the, what's the old bar called now again, JP, it's called the... It's going to be the hub for students on the ASD spectrum. Great, so when you walk past that hub, you can see right through the three studios. And if you walk under the archway, you'll also see right through. And the plan was to have, you know, evidence, forward-facing evidence of student activity. And, you know, before COVID hit us, before Christmas, we had that happening. There was people working in the podcast studio, they were broadcasting. And there were students recording in the production studio. And it was really nice to see that little act, hub of activity happening the way we planned it like nearly five years ago at this stage with Ian Pickup. And um, it, it, it's great to see it, you know, it's it's really nice. That's fabulous. And I've been in that station myself too, and I, I've been blown away by it. And um, it really is top class in terms of professionalism and how it's going to run. It's going to be a game changer for how we approach student media here in UCC. So... Can you tell us a little bit about the history of the radio station? I mean, you're there nearly from the start, aren't you? I was from the start, uh, 23 years now. And 23 my job years, wow. Yeah, the job has changed quite a bit. We started in 95 in June. We were the first radio student radio station to go on air. Uh, it was the IRTC back then, which is now the BAI, and they put an advert in the paper looking for a community of interest license. And the administrator in the uh, student centre at the time uh, was spent a lot of time in America, and he saw the benefit and the value of student radio in the States. And so he applied for the license and we were granted a 100 day license. And then Galway were after us, then Limerick, and then a few other stations after that involved. So community radio kind of came online in June, July, 95. And from there, then we broadcast two hours a day 
in the, one of the hottest summers going up in College Road in top what basically was a cupboard. And um, so the student center was built the following year, 96, and we moved in there. And then we were there for until June last year, and we moved into the hub. And I suppose you have much more space where you are as well now, don't you? The space is one thing, but the, the mindset has changed quite a bit. Like going back 10, 15 years ago, we were kind of a little bit um, stinted in our thinking. And, you know, as we were kind of evolving and adding hours on and the students are also evolving, uh, the amount of training that was needed and the way the training was delivered uh, going back a long time now, maybe 10, 15 years ago, was very pragmatic. It didn't really work. Uh, some of the students who were quieter didn't really get a chance to, to grow into the role. And as students have now become very uh, used to social media and platforms and producing content for those platforms, the training we now deliver for students and staff kind of focuses back on this and it really kind of delivers uh, on what we try to do here. Students, I suppose in a nutshell, what we've done is we've given responsibility and ownership back to the students of the radio Fantastic. shows. Fantastic. I saw it really is a real student-led and student-focused radio station. And if you don't mind me saying so, Karen, they're very lucky to have somebody like yourself at the helm of it who understands students and is is there really to just propel students and help them and reach their potential. Ah, thank you. Um, it's easier to work this way. <laughs> you know, Before you had to submit your running order, you had to discuss everything with the manager and there's 55 students. It's a, it's a big ask. And then we took the hands off the wheel a couple of years ago and we put the trust back on the students and they really, really delivered. They really have. The station has got much better in the past from five years ago where it was, you know. Mm -hmm. So you started as the engineer for the station, am I correct? And you have ended up in a situation where you are now the manager of the station, stroke engineer, stroke jack of all trades. Would that be <laughs> jack of all an trades. accurate way of describing it? Yeah, multimedia covers a lot of things. I started off part-time as the engineer. Uh, I think it was 10 hours a week. It was grand. It suited me. And it got me uh, more structure in my day because I spent a lot of time working in the evenings. I was working in Sir Henry's. I was working in Cabaret. I was up and down. You were about the only person that ever worked in Sir Henry's area. Oh, no, there's plenty of us knocking around. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there were days. And then that evolved into full-time engineer as the hours grew. And then there was some internal training offered for the college and also for the BAI. So I did that training uh, with Community Radio Forum of Ireland. I was kind of uh, graduated. Well, you don't really kind of graduate, but you kind of were given a role as producer. And the way you actually earn that role is by taking projects from the BAI, running with them, making sure they are adhered to by the contract and then delivering them. So I did about uh, 45 of those over the past couple of years. Wow. And um, so I did a producer. And then the, the role of manager came up and I applied for it and I was lucky enough to be appointed. So training has very much shaped your, your career. And uh, another interesting aspect of your career now is, is that you're a teaching and learning fellow, aren't you, for Circle here in UCC? Yeah, that was a, I was delighted to be asked. I, I was always interested in, in teaching and, all, and when I'm doing the training with the students here, like I mentioned, there's 55 uh, students every week. They're student broadcasters and I really need to tighten up the broadcasting training. I, I'll be very frank about it. It got dated, it got stale and there was like 15, 20 people in a room with me and I was bored and I'm pretty sure they were getting bored very quickly as well. And then by the end of the week's uh, training, they were stinted and they were scared because we talk about libel and defamation. Yeah. So they were really just like, you know, very uh, carbon copy of Radio 1. So we trained, we trained differently now. We changed our training completely. 
I did a certificate in uh, teaching learning four years ago. I thought it was very interesting. It really helped me. I went on to do the diploma. Uh, Mary McCarthy was uh, in Circle back then, and she was she's, retiring. She's fabulous. Absolutely amazing. And I saw the opportunity to get my uh, my master's in learning teaching with Brian Supple as my mentor, but also uh, with Marion was involved. She was delivering the training and the seminars. So I was going to defer for a while, and I saw that Marion was leaving. I'm going to put the head down and keep on it. So we did, and I got my M uh, MA in teaching and learning, and I was just, I was delighted to get a first class honours in it. Then from there, I was invited to become a teaching fellow, which I was blown away by because you know you, you think of a teaching fellow in university, you think of a man covered in chalk behind his big oak desk somewhere up in an, an ivory tower, and, and the kind of corduroy jacket with the uh, the elbow pads on it. That's it, yeah. And then you kind of go, well, we're thinking differently now. It's about evidence of learning and the teaching that I de developed. Through my MA project, uh, we use that now. Here we have a framework, it's called. So there's three parts of the framework. And I can teach students how to be effective in their role and how to structure their content very quickly. And it's been it's been great because I can train them very quickly now. And the training sticks. Like it's, it's evidence of that because every time I look in the studio, there's uh, producers' wheels either on their laptop or drawn out. Uh, that's how they, they structure shows. Um, Probably a slightly but, unpopular statement from here and now, though, but you can't train people to have talent, though, can you? I wouldn't, because if I start naming people, I'm going to forget a couple, you know, and then... No, but I suppose what I'm saying is that surely you get a sense very early when you meet someone, this person has a natural ability for broadcasting. Oh, you do. And you look at other people and you go, you know, this person technically would be very good, but doesn't have the personality or... or doesn't have the confidence and I suppose can you teach people to actually develop that talent or is it you eat something you either have or you don't no I think you can develop it it's a lot harder if you don't have a natural ability but I do think you can work at it there's a couple of people come to mind now who are on RT who would go into the bracket that you describe flaky kind of uh, they're having a bit of crack and all of a sudden something went off something happened and then they took it more seriously. And this little, yeah. I saw before was developed in them and they kind of came out. Well, what I find about looking at broadcasting, particularly in Ireland, is, is that there's it's heavily weighted towards some people. You have the same five to six people that do everything on television and radio. And then somebody comes along and they just are completely different and just have an, a natural charisma and... They just go to like I don't know if you saw the um, Tommy Turner interview with Baj uh, Shwani that was on the Tommy Turner show last week. If you haven't, yeah, I mean two naturally gifted, excellent personalities, broadcasters. You couldn't find better, I'd say. You know. True. To go back to your question though, you, you, you do recognise it. It might take longer in some people than others, but you can't see it. And when it's there, at their interest, we nurture that incredibly. Uh, mm. We do as much as we can. We give them as much opportunity. We make contacts with them. A lot of newsrooms would not advertise part-time work or casual work because they're being inundated with uh, demos, but they might put the feelers out. And we have a reputation for delivering really good quality people. So if a newsroom contacts me directly, I might say, look, I don't have anyone at the moment, but give me a month. And there's been yeah. once or twice where the head of news might contact us. I heard that person at five o'clock. Who was that? And that happened to be somebody who got a chance and now is working in RT Radio on a newsroom. That's fantastic. I mean, I, I know you said a minute ago you weren't going to name names, but I'm going to press you because there has been some very famous alumni that's, that actually started their careers in the radio station. Am I right? That's true. Uh, Justin McCarthy knows on RT, uh, Karina Buckley. Uh, we're still in contact. I wouldn't say every day, but, you know, we're still staying in touch. I bring these people back to do training. Uh, Jonathan Healy is um, 
a good friend of mine from when we started and off together. Probably one of the best broadcasters I think that this country has ever produced. Fantastic, yeah. And he's got a law degree from UCC and I love the fact that he's got his opinion grounded in evidence. Yeah, that's the that's the teaching and learning aspect of things, I suppose. Am I right in thinking Samantha Barry worked on some projects in the radio she station? Did, yeah. Samantha would have been with us for oh, I think half a semester, maybe a full semester. She went to News Talk then. And then she got a job in the BBC uh, working, BBC World Service. And from there, then she really cut her teeth. She really learned her trade and came back to BBC. And then she got a break in, um, what's the magazine it called again? Is it? Is it uh, Glamour, isn't it? Yeah, wouldn't be on my reading list, but fair play to her. And one of the first jobs she had to do was a brave decision to stop printing. And now she prints uh, editions that are special ones, like for autumn edition or... So that move saved the magazine in one go. You know. But yeah, Samantha, yeah. I remember Samantha very, very well yeah, as a student here. A lot of people have gone on to do very well behind the microphone too as producers. One of the top yeah. people in Australia is actually one that came through here as well. Like, like I said, there's been so many people and we try and stay in touch. And uh, uh, that feated uh, Irish producer Colm O'Sullivan and former radio host was involved in the radio station as well for many years, wasn't he? Yeah, Cullen was around quite a bit. There's a kind of two different kind of strains of students who get involved. There's the one or two who want to have a bit of fun, meet friends and kind of, you know, give the CV something interesting. And then you have a couple who have a plan. There's a yeah. couple who, who have said, I'm doing this for two years. I'm going to produce this much content. I'm going to work on my portfolio. I'm going to then move forward with this. If you really are interested in media as a career, uh, this is a very good platform to kick off with. As it supplements your degree as well. No matter what degree you come out with, you see, if you do time with the radio station and the magazine and the newspaper, it, it stands to you, you know, because it's it's real world experience you're getting. And I, I'd highly recommend it to any students that are listening, because I quite honestly would say that my biggest regret from my study times in UCC was not getting involved in the radio station. There's always space as well. We, we make space. If there's more people applying than we have time, we add on time as well. So if you do apply, um, it's very, very unlikely that you won't get a position, or at least uh, on a team of people, which we find is the best way to go. You come in, you learn by being with your peers. You have a supervisor like myself on your show. We develop ideas. And then you'd be surprised where things go. The international's office, the international office got in, in contact with us. And we had an international student who's a uh, French and he started doing a show where he brought in people who were in his social group. And they weren't just French, they were just international students. And we had a Japanese student on for an hour talking about her experience uh, living in Cork, talking about study, talking about the beautiful city they have. And like, that would never have happened. And it was just that little push, that direction from the international's office. And that, that podcast was very popular. And it's a whole series like that, who are international students who are coming on talking about their experience and they love the fact they're invited on to speak. And I think people are starting to realise that we're in a new era of how people consume their information. I mean, the, the streaming of, of television programmes and streaming services is taking over from terrestrial TV. Yeah. And in many ways, podcasts are taking over from terrestrial radio as well, too. So, I mean, you're very much prepared for that, which are your podcasting studio and how you train people and I mean even even this podcast you've advised me on how to operate this podcast and mm. many more as well but you, you also have been involved in I suppose hundreds of documentaries uh, funded by the BAI uh, the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland over the years as well too haven't you? That's true they're a great way of kind of getting people in on board generating a small bit of income for the, the people involved but what I find is the content is great because you have 
a budget to spend either on travel or involving people or engaging with um, professional people in, in their own uh, degrees. So the documentaries that get produced by uh, funding from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland tend to be very, very high standard uh, because it's required of the contract, you know, audio quality. Yeah. Also, the editing time has to be put into it. There has to be a producer, an engineer, a director sometimes is needed for doing drama. So they do allow you to put in um, for a lot of people to work on a project to bring good quality to the air. Well, I've I've benefited from being involved in one of those projects myself, so you're, you're not understating it. There is huge amount of work involved in those projects very much facilitated by yourself and your own led by your own expertise and your own hard work there in the station we're putting a call out soon don't know when yet but hopefully this year uh we did it two years ago uh we put a general call out to the staff and students of UC if you're interested in making a documentary and the people who approached us went through a workshop we went through on the application forms we said very clearly what you can be actually expect from the experience and we had five programs that were funded for staff and uh, one of them was called uh, living with a phd which i think is a, is a quirky little piece of what, what it's like to, to have a phd it sounds a bit boring but the way it was structured was very quirky funny insightful uh, a bit scary at points you know mm. nearly all people who do attempt to do a phd at some stage end up on medication but it, that's the way that story was told by the producer brilliant you know and it's something i would never have thought of, of making I think everyone has a book in them, and I think everyone also has a documentary in them as well. I think you're probably right, yeah. I mean, people's life experiences are, are always interesting to somebody else. Yeah, amazing. Like, one of the documentaries that got made recently uh, was about air traffic control in Cork. And if, I, if you or I tried to get access to that tower for a day or two, it would be very difficult. But the guy who produced it, his dad worked in air traffic control. So he went along with his dad, met his friends, and brought a recorder from here, and came back with, like, five hours of material that worked out really engaging stuff and that's what happens people mm. have access to things that the general public don't mm. and they're the ones with that unique story they can pull it together and then when they come back with five or six hours of interviews going what am i going to do now before that though we train them how to structure a question we train them how to interview somebody how to listen um, there's a couple of small pointers there that um, people do before they put a microphone in front of anyone and that helps an awful lot in post-production then you come back and we edit together. We sit down and decide what goes in, what goes out, and it gets broadcast. We put some post production in with some like ear candies are called, and uh, it gets broadcast. And a lot of time, the, the last one we made with student was life in Cork Fire Brigade. One hand on the bell, it's called, and the student student's granddad was actually a fireman, and he seemed to be a bit of a legend in Cork Fire Brigade. So when she turned up at the firehouse, she was given VIP treatment. <laughs> sit down talking to the lads and chatting away and they're very very comfortable talking to her because she's young and she's interested in her granddad he was telling old stories of the old fire brigade and all this rolled out in a very unofficial way and it was a beautiful moment when the alarm goes off and they're recording and they were just making a cup of tea to sit down and you know start doing an interview and they were gone in 40 seconds they were just gone whoop gone and you hear the, the, the alarm the sirens going off in distance and they're sitting there going they just left so quickly. Leave the speed of it. And it's a lovely documentary. And we got contacted last month by somebody who is a fire person in Limerick. And they heard some of it. And their family were also involved in the fire brigade. And they said, I only heard 10 minutes of it because I drove out of the city bounds. 
is there any chance we can get a copy of the hearing that I want to pass it on to my parents? And then also uh, we did a documentary on steam travel in the 1950s. And uh, that's been a great documentary. I made that myself personally, you know, it's an interest of mine. So, but a lot of the men I spoke to uh, have passed away since. And when it gets broadcast, people contact us and say, I heard my granddad, I heard somebody who's in my family. I didn't realize that it's an interview for UCC. I'd love to get a copy of it too. So it's lovely when we get that kind of feedback on documentaries. Station has always had a great sense of humor. I remember one of my favorite things as a student to listen to was a sketch show written by um, a gentleman called Ivor Crotty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as, it tar- how, as it turns out, no works for Russian television. I know, yeah. <laughs> I met him two years ago. Myself and Cullum and Ivor sat down and had a bite tweet up in McCurtain Street. It's kind of a reunion. And uh, yeah, it's, he's got an amazing job. It's just, But imagine when you think about it, to go from campus radio and UCC to working for RTV. Yeah, he's one, he's one of the heads of production for Russia today in, the, in, uh, in Europe. And I asked him straight up, like, how much freedom do you have? So we can do and say what we want. But when it comes to politics, everything has to be run through uh, Moscow. So sport, entertainment, no problems. But you mentioned anything about world news, it has to be sent off for approval. I said, how much approval do you get? I mean, you know, percentage-wise, about 95%. Yeah. So they have a hand, but it's not a heavy one on the, the content. But it still is a hand. Do you know what? Talks. I'd say yeah. most broadcasting corporations are like that to a certain degree. So I can't imagine that Sky are allowing 95% of uh, of content to go without some sort of editorial uh, involvement either you know yeah it, it's hard to know i mean editorial content is um it, it's something that I, I try and keep a light touch on here like you get the odd a couple of things that happen where people don't realize what they're saying and you come in and say you can't say that you have to go back and correct yourself that rarely 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 happens once or twice uh, it happens around court cases weren't it? So it's not really an issue that I have. The, the one thing that I always concentrate on with students when they're starting is the delivery of content and the timely delivery of content. They seem to hang their hat on one subject and go back over and over and over again. And yeah. you have to move on from something. And that's part of the training. We show you how to pace your show. Uh, speaking of the pace of things, I mean, you've achieved an awful lot in in the length of time that the radio station has has been in existence what's the plan for the future yeah uh it's never boring you know this is what i thought i was getting a bit kind of looking around for another opportunity it came to me with the idea of the hub so that took five years planning every month there's a move towards it and the broke ground it's like so it got very engaging now we're here and we're we're looking at what we can do and when i was looking at the advice from people around me I said don't uh, just build a radio station. I didn't know what that meant. I kind of looked around and went, what do you mean? So it's multimedia. So we're ready for uh, what's coming down the road. John O'Halloran has always said, and I think it's interesting, that a lot of the jobs that graduates who are coming in this year or next year will qualify from here and go into roles that don't exist now. Yeah. I think we can address or speak to some of that. It's either media, as you mentioned earlier, social media, different platforms. These are all developing still. They're like lava coming out of the sea. They're cooling off now and as grass starting to grow. And mm-hmm. um, I think we're at that stage. And in five years, JP, or even 10 years time, what we'll be looking at, I think RT will be uh, alongside players that people would make in regions. You know, it, it just, you just don't know where it's going to go. It's both scary and exciting in equal measure. Yeah. So now you are, the, you are the creator of content that people want an audience for. There's a couple of girls here who are actually influencers on Instagram. And I can't believe how many people are actually following their fashion advice and beauty makeup and stuff. And that will only get more and more um, involved, you know. 
they're I, making I, money out of it too. They're making money. But even I was thinking myself, you know, God, that's ridiculous. But I would go and watch a YouTube video on how to use a piece of equipment, you know, and I'm following yeah. people who would do the same thing. But I, you know, it's that's the way we are. We're following people on YouTube, for example, or on podcasts who make content. One of my favorite podcasts is Freakonomics. I put it on my phone and drive home in the car. I listen to a very interesting deal on how commerce works. So we're we're there. We're in the middle of the way we can produce this content that would be forward-facing evidence of student and staff activity of the college. And um, we are now, we're on all platforms. We're on Spotify and iTunes. We broadcast live a 40-mile radius around uh, the city and county. And we're also available on demand afterwards as a, as a live stream. So the day's broadcast gets rebroadcast that evening. So when you tune into 98.3 FM on your radio or on a stream, there's always some content from UC available. That's fantastic, Karen. Now, just to wind things up, there's a couple of questions I always ask people. Oh, here we go. <laughs> is, is, there, is there any particular story of UCC from your time there or from the history that speaks to you or that, that you're quite fond of? Yeah, I think the Penny Dinners Radioton, that hurt, <laughs> that really. To get that off the ground and to, to execute it was, was brilliant, right? We raised three and a half thousand euro for Penny Dinners. We sold advertising at 50 quid a pop and we said it, we, were, we had to make 50 ads in the space of three weeks and broadcast them. And we also had a 24-hour broadcast to do. And, you know, the first, the afternoon was easy. It was a great buzz. We had a launch. Evening time was okay. Uh, 12 o'clock, okay, fairly all right. 1 o'clock to 7 o'clock, that was a long haul. Yeah. And then the students who'd signed up for it all turned up sober, well-fed, with their content ready to go 3, 4, 5 o'clock. I remember falling asleep on a couch in the student centre for about three hours. And we mm. finally made it around to the, uh, the 12 o'clock spot the next day, and I just went home. But uh, when the money started rolling in, it was great to see it. And the amount of uh, student involvement was amazing. I couldn't have done it on my own. There was Our students, students are fantastic, Karen. They, are, they are, really are. The they way are our greatest assets by far. And produced the ad. Like I said, there was 50 ads to make. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot of adverts. And they were voiced and they were scripted and they came into the show. I always took my hat off to the guys who came in at four or five, six, seven o'clock in the morning to do one hour show because they believed that it was a good thing to do. And we went down and got one of those big checks from Bank of Ireland, you know, those big checks yeah. down to um, the painters. I still look at that picture every now and then and go, yeah, that was a great thing to do. And I'd love to do it again, but it'll be a couple of years, maybe a year before we can attempt to do something like that again. So that was one thing that stuck out. The first day broadcasting was absolutely terrifying because we were testing the signal and we were getting complaints saying that we're knocking BBC World Service off the air. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, There was things like that... Um, there was challenging times um, when the station wasn't, uh, when it was the editorial control was too tight, there wasn't that much interest in the station, either being involved or listening to it. So we fell out of favour a bit, I think, for a little bit of time. And then we, were, we started changing the way we deliver content and we kind of, people started recognising that. So that was good to be kind of seeing that back in the kind of centre of what's, uh, what's useful and what's important. Uh, but I think the Paying Dinners one is, um, that stands out as a, as a really nice thing to do. And it was a great crack making those ads. The buzz we have was amazing around the place, you know. What's your favourite part of campus, your favourite part of UCC, Kieran? Yeah, I think the Maradike is cool. I think it's lovely around that area, just the history of the place. And it's so I thought close you were going that. to say the old bar, but there you go. I was getting there, you know. The, the old bar was one of the places that uh, I cut my teeth as an engineer. And I was allowed to make mistakes there, mistakes that are hard to kind of learn in a classroom. I was formally learning how to uh, music production and management. And there was a couple of nights where things didn't go my way, but there was forgiveness there. And I kind of go back next night. And I learned my mistakes and suddenly 
I got very confident very quickly in the bar. And we had brilliant nights. The Mock the Firmest Song Contest, I remember, was amazing. And people will never see the likes of that again. Yeah. It used to pack the place in just to watch your fellow student go up there with a guitar or a keyboard or a bit of a drum. You know, it was amazing. It won't happen again. There was no phones back then, you know, and entertainment was basically on campus. So if you weren't in by seven o'clock, you weren't going to get in. I remember some brilliant rag weeks as well with some great music. We also had Cranberries. I wasn't on that night when they played in the, the old bar, but I saw some brilliant bands over the years. I loved the old bar with it, the way it was. And I also loved the way it's still going to be relevant. The space yeah. is there. I love the way that you actually have some of the old floor that will be available for purchase at some stage. A lot yeah. of people would that's be very project interested. that's in process at the moment, actually. So we've salvaged the floor and the floor is going to be cut up and put into box frames yeah. and literally sold as as limited edition pieces, as a little piece of nostalgia for people who spent their time many a night there dancing on those floors or throwing up on those floors or <laughs> various other different things. But I, I, I will never forget the nights I had myself there as a student. It was um, it was a formative part of my student experience. Yeah. And I was a non-drinker, so it had nothing to do with alcohol. It was all to do with the culture and the events and everything that took place inside that war. And I think you're right. I think we've lost a little bit of that. But um, things like the radio station carry on and help to bring that bit of culture back to the new generation of students in a new way. And with that, Kieran Hurley, station manager of UCC 98.3 FM, I'd like to thank you so much for your time with us, uh, talking to us today and wish you all the best with the radio station in the future. Thank you very much, Steffi.